It's time to unify and simplify the IT world. We are here to do that one podcast at a time. I'm Steve. I'm McKay. And welcome to the Interchange IT Podcast. McKay, welcome to the International Interchange IT Podcast. Oh, no question about it. We've got listeners in approximately 147 countries in the world. Uh, how many, how many is not, it? That's not accurate. Erica? It's like two. Two? I think it's U.S. and Canada. No, we got more than that. We got like ten. Ten, ten countries, ten, Erica. Ten so countries. She refuses to speak, but she did just hold both hands up with yes. all the fingers <laughs> extended. I didn't see if a foot was wiggling. No, so maybe it's more. Maybe it's up to 20. It could be up to 20. It's as high as Erica can count. That's, and that's so true. That's all we can go. That's true. The top 20 countries in the world. The top 20 countries, the G20. Yes, are exactly. All our listeners. So today on the podcast, we have a special guest. We do. He actually is on my team. Uh-huh. And he develops much of the content, the great content, I would say, that appears in our emails, that appears on our website, that appears on our blog, on social media. He is Mr. Michael Edward Dortch, coming to you live from the Bay Area. Michael Dortch, how are you, sir? I'm, uh, you know, let's go with fair to partly cloudy, McKay. (laughs) (laughs) I like that very much. So, Michael, we are going to first talk about a couple items in news of the day. We're going to read some some emails, some letters. Did we get letters or emails? Like, no one actually wrote a letter. No no one wrote a letter. We have, have, I think we should do the lightning round first. Oh, let's do the lightning round. Let's do the lightning round first. And then we'll, we'll get into our correspondence of one way or the other. Oh, I like that. All right, Michael. So we have a lightning round for you. It has nothing to do with our subject matter. We're going to jump right into this lightning round. Are you ready? Sure. Can I, can I, can I make an initial complaint first? Yes. Oh, <laughs> there's a way to start. You know, when you guys talk about letters versus emails, it's like albums versus CDs. The former is a description of the content itself. The latter is a delivery mechanism. They are not the same. So, so you, you can write a letter and send it in a variety of ways. Similarly, you can record music as an album, that is to say, a collected set of works, and deliver them in a variety of ways. I do not understand why people get this confused. I blame the school system. <laughs> McKay? I agree. McKay, I blame McKay. the school system. This is going to be a long podcast. This is going to be a very long podcast. <laughs> See, I think – so Steve thinks of um, like a, low, uh, a piece of bread as just a delivery mechanism for butter. I mean, it's really how he views it. It's true. It's not bread. It's just a delivery mechanism for butter or gravy. True. True. In, in a similar way that you now, think of BYU now, football as a delivery mechanism for failure. <laughs> well, that's harsh. Harsh. It's funny I, because it's true. It's true. That's, that's right. right. All right, Michael. Favorite movie of all time? Uh, it's a tie between The Godfather and Buckaroo Banzai. Ooh. Buckaroo Banzai. I've literally never heard of that. I'm still waiting for the sequel. Buckaroo yeah, me Banzai. too. <laughs> Part two, Lost in New York. <laughs> actually, did you know that there is some thought that uh, Big Trouble in Little China is actually a was originally written as a sequel to that movie? Are you kidding me? Nope. Nope, it's true. Jeez. That's yeah. that's as weird to me as, as learning that the David Bowie vehicle, The Man Who Fell to Earth, originally started out as an attempt to make a movie out of the novel Stranger in a Strange Land. I didn't know any. Of I those didn't know words. any of. I, di- I didn't know that either. So yeah, well, I'm older than both of you, so you know. <laughs> but I knew about Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. That's true. That's true. Yeah, had uh, Charles Grodin in it, I think. No, Peter, yeah, no, yeah. Peter Weller is Buckaroo Banzai. I have to say, the right. closing closing scene is one of my favorite closing scenes when they're just walking down the L.A. River. 
They're just walking down oh, that yeah, cement. Yeah. yeah, 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 yep. All right, so next question. Next question. Uh, uh, tell me, uh, what was your favorite TV show growing up? Jeez, I watched so much television. I have to say the two... <laughs> I have to say The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. My mom used to let me stay up and watch Carson. I'd fall asleep watching Carson, and then my parents would tell me the next day at like 2 in the morning they were awakened by me telling jokes and laughing in my sleep. I, I love, you know, most people are like, oh, I don't watch TV. I'm too busy for TV. You know what? TV's awesome. And, and for people who say it isn't, you're wrong because it's They're awesome. Wrong. And you're the question wrong. is, why do they hate America? Yeah, why do you hate America and soldiers <laughs> and babies? An apple pie. Right. All right, all right. This is my favorite. Oh, my favorite lightning round question. Tell me about your least favorite pet you ever had. The worst pet you ever had. The worst pet. I haven't had a bad pet. <laughs> I liked tropical fish. I mean, <laughs> it's it's so hard for tropical fish to go bad. I can't answer that question. I have I, I haven't had the worst pet. I, well, wait a minute. I could talk about a couple of dates when I was in junior high school, maybe. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> All right. All right. I'm excited to get into this correspondence with these uh, our listeners, our yeah. dear, sweet listeners. So, yeah, so if you, uh, if you want to uh, get in touch with us, uh, email us at the Interchange IT podcast at Avanti.com, or you can tweet us at Steve Error or at McKay S. Allen. We'll get back to that later. Yep. But we've had a couple of, of requests, and we've even had people say, hey, I'd love to come on as a guest. And so we'll talk about them at a later date. But um, the first one is from Jake. Jake? I have in the notes Jake from State Farm. All right. But it's actually Jake from, <laughs> it's Jake from Connecticut. Uh, he wants to know what we think about the Uber security breach and how it was handled. So I, um, I'll tell you my ever-present concern whenever I, I Uber, and I Ubered a lot this past weekend. I took a little little trip, and I Ubered a few times. The thing that is interesting with Uber is the thing that's concerning with Uber is the thing that makes it so convenient, which is they always have your, your information, your payment information in the cloud, on their app, on your app, and in their system, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the whole point is you, have to, you get to avoid that awkwardness with a taxi driver of like, well, here's the receipt, and they see your tip and all that stuff. You just literally like jump out when you get to your destination. So having the payment information constantly available to anybody who could potentially breach Uber is the is the thing that makes it so convenient, but also the thing that makes it most concerning. But how, how many apps have your payment information already built in there? A lot. But Amazon? Yeah, Amazon. But, but it's easier to turn off. Like, I don't know. The Uber to me is different because it's so, um, depending on who you are and how you use it, it's so there constantly. So, Mike, what do you think? There's a you you ask the question in exactly the correct way, Steve, because you want to separate the news of the breach versus from the news of how Uber handled it. Everything McKay just said is absolutely true. And it's one of the reasons I'm a big fan of using cloud-based payment services like PayPal to pay for as much cloud-based stuff as possible, because I think PayPal is better at cybersecurity than I am. So or or even probably my bank. Um, but it's how Uber handled the breach that is the real question here and, and or is the real red flag here because 
How a company's leadership deals with adversity demonstrates a lot about that company's culture. And at the end of the day, especially when the cloud makes almost everyone equally competitive, you know, the Joe's grocery store can build a better website than Trader Joe's uh, chain if they, if they set out to. Um, your, com your competitive, uh, your ability to thrive competitively depends on things like trust and reputation and the perception of your culture. And I don't think how Uber handled this breach says very much good at all about what Uber is like as a company. And I love the service as much as McKay does, but I just don't like the company as a company very much this week. Yeah, well, it, they've had a couple. It's been a bumpy road for Uber as a company for the last year. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. I, th I think some of their, I mean, we were, I was talking to drivers about this, Uber drivers as we're driving around. and But the thing that's, sh I think, the most shocking is Uber paid this ransom, right? Like 57 million right. accounts were breached, driver right. and rider accounts, and then they paid it. Um, which, if you talk to any security expert, is is a, a scary proposition, right? I know even the FBI, as recently as two years ago, has kind of gone back and forth on that, but is now firmly in the camp of don't pay. So... I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting situation. I think they found themselves in. They wanted to keep things private, and they clearly didn't remain private. Right. Next question. Next question. This is uh, from Daniel in London. So we are international. Oh, that's cool. why. That's why I could say we were international. There you go. He said he's calling this question of the year. Okay. So I'm this better be good. This. Given that there's only a few weeks left, it's possible. Yeah, it's, and it's really like our second question we've ever read. I yes. mean, he's got a decent chance. <laughs> I know, it's fifty fifty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is Bitcoin a bubble just about to pop? Oh. So here's the thing. I am not in any way remotely qualified to speak on Bitcoin because I have no earthly freaking idea what it is. I just know my brother put like $2,500 into Bitcoin like two months ago, and now you'd think he, the kid's a millionaire. He's yeah. like a college student. I don't know where he got that money anyway. Probably stole it from somebody. Probably. Anyway, he's a college student. He's a jerk. I just love my brother. I'm just kidding. But anyways. Probably not. He's, so he's made a ton of money. I mean, it's gone. I think we're at eleven thousand eight hundred dollars for a Bitcoin today. So I, I am in no way qualified. So Steve and Michael, address this question, please. Michael, what do you think? I have my own. I have strong opinions. Oh, oh but I want to. Okay. I want to reserve my strong opinions till Michael makes his opinions. All right. Well, jeez, I'm reminded of. I'm reminded of something I said to my wife in an entirely different context. I stand by my uninformed judgment, no matter how uh, wrong it proves <laughs> to be in the future. Um, I, I think, is Bitcoin a bubble about to burst? No, that's not how I look at it. I look at it as Bitcoin being the first draft of a work that is still in progress. And that work is the entire genus of cryptocurrencies and how we're going to deal with those. What's going to happen the first time uh, a cryptocurrency gets hacked? And all these things, you know, th all this all this stuff is, is going to happen if these things stick around long enough. And there's no indication to me that Bitcoin or any of these cryptocurrencies is going away anytime soon. So we're just in the early, like, toddler phases of living with cryptocurrency. And is, is Bitcoin going to suffer and stumble yeah most likely will it get up dust itself off and move forward yeah equally likely so uh i was a financial advisor for most of my career and uh so i, I will say right now i am no longer a part of any financial services anything and my licenses have all expired so i want to clarify by so that don't make financial decisions based upon this <laughs> advice right <laughs> however that being said, uh, 
Um, one of the things I would always tell my clients is know what you own and why you own it. The old Peter Lynch quote, know what you own and why you own it. And so if someone came to me and said, I had a client one day came to me, hey, I really want to buy Facebook. This is when it was first IPOing. I said, okay, why? Because it doesn't fit into the plan that we've set up. Why do you want to buy it? And she said, well, it's kind of in the news. It's making history today because it's IPOing and I want to be part of something cool. I said, all right, let's buy a couple of shares. Have some fun with it. So we bought, we put in order for a couple of shares. My concern with Bitcoin is no one that I've spoken to who thinks Bitcoin's the greatest thing ever can explain it to me. No one can tell me who started Bitcoin because nobody knows. Roger Bitcoin. Right. Roger Bitcoin. Right. From Butte, Montana. <laughs> There's too much unknown about it. And the fact is, I believe it was Morgan Stanley who one time said, I know that when my shoeshine boy, it was back in the day when you know, you walk the streets of New York with shoeshine boys, is giving me stock advice that it's time to sell. Right now, I, I literally was in the gas station yesterday, and the, the, the guy working at the gas station, this is nothing against guys at gas stations, is telling me, hey, Bitcoin, that's how I'm going to make millions of dollars. Um, I'm a little, there's no reason for it to be at 11. Uh, plus, I don't know why it's there. Um, it is cool. There's no regulation about it. So I'm, I'm concerned. I think it's a bit of a bubble, but again, not a financial advisor anymore. Um, I just be careful of it. I think we're going to, we're, we're trying right now to have a, a Bitcoin expert come on the, the podcast. Roger uh, Bitcoin himself. Roger Bitcoin himself. <laughs> so drive so, down from Butte to get here. Bitcoin's exciting. I think, I think Michael's right. It's a new technology. It'll get, a cryptocurrency isn't going away. I think this is a Bitcoin. The internet didn't go away after the internet bubble. Real estate right. didn't go away after the real estate bubble. Right. So this may it may turn into tulips something didn't go useful. away after the tulip bubble. Well, this it'll be an interesting case study, right? Is this um, is this Napster, which basically forged the path for all streaming music services right. that are now the single mm-hmm. way people get their music? But, or is this but the Apple Napster Newton. itself ended up failing? Right. Or is this the proliferative service? Did you like that word proliferative service? That um, ends up becoming the standard for cryptocurrency. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. I think there are a bunch of other things that are using this blockchain technology. I mean, that's really yep. cool stuff. Um, we'll find out. We'll see. So let's jump in a little bit here. So um, I want to run through briefly um, your bio. Um, you've done a lot of things in your career. You um, went to uh, MIT, which is fantastic. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty good school. Um, yeah. Not ITT. That's different. No. Right. MIT. Exactly. Um, My son has an MIT hat from MIT. There you go. Yeah, he's proud of it. That's awesome. I visited Harvard <laughs> once and bought a shirt. Um, but you've also you've also been Did an it analyst. say I went to Harvard and all I got was the shirt? <laughs> no, it doesn't. It actually <laughs> right. just says Harvard. Exactly. And I just wear it when I want to feel hoity-toity. Um, so, but you've also been an analyst in the IT space. You've been a consultant in the IT space. And you've been you know, a marketer and a content producer in the IT space. So just in broad strokes, Michael, from when you started in the IT world to where we are now, crystallize, if you can, just some of the biggest, um, what, what's the biggest change that you've seen? Is it more of a focus on automation? Is it more dependence on software? Is it, what's the biggest change in, in terms of the mindset of the IT department that you've seen in your 78 years in, the, in IT? <laughs> Ouch. Yes. It only seems like that many. <laughs> it's it's roughly about uh, close to half that number. Um, you know, I 
I think the, the most significant broad-based change, I think I can crystallize with an, an analogy. In my youth, the easiest way to clear a room at a party was to say that I had anything to do with computers. <laughs> in, in my adult, in, in, in this phase of my adult life, the easiest way to not be able to leave a party is to mention that I know anything about technology because everyone has a technology question because everyone is using something, something based on technology, based on information technology in some part of their lives and it is doing something that they do not understand. I promise you, and, and you can go back and see quotes from people like Bill Gates and the founders of companies like Digital Equipment Corporation. You can see recordings of them saying similar things. No one in technology had any idea it was going to take over the world when they were building these things, right? And, and that has required not a change, but a near constant high level of evolution amongst IT department team members, because they all of a sudden had to realize they weren't geeks talking to geeks about geek stuff anymore. They had to actually answer questions from human beings who didn't know everything they knew. And they had to explain stuff that they didn't build because people were buying technology, not building it. And this requires such a constant shift in how you view your own life and your own skill set that it makes being in IT probably one of the most exhilarating and frustrating career choices anyone can make today. I think to build on your point, there's there's like I remember when my dad came home with our first computer, right? I remember big box, right? Giant monitor, yep. And we were yep. really fancy because we got a HP LaserJet two printer, right? That was oh like my. the fifth. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, fast forward to a commercial I saw on TV last night. It's of this girl. She's going around, looks like New York City with her big iPad, and she's doing all this oh, stuff, yeah. right? And her mom's right. like, hey, what are you doing on the computer? And she says, what's a computer? Right? It's right. so integrated exactly. into everything that we're doing. And, uh, you know, the computing uh, power of the phone that McKay has in his hand is exactly. more than it, what it took to take the Apollo to the moon. Right. right? So it, it's so integrated. It's, it's completely different than 78 years ago. It, right. it may it – may- <laughs> It, it may surprise no one listening to this to learn that MIT has a large uh, coterie of students who are science fiction fans. There is, in <laughs> fact, there is, in fact, a, a, a club called the MIT Science Fiction Society, or Mitzvahs. Got to pronounce that correctly. Mitzvahs. Um, so I read a lot of science fiction when I was at MIT, and, you know, and I learned a very interesting thing. Of all the transformative modern technologies... There is only one that no science fiction writer predicted accurately before it came about. Remember, Arthur C. Clarke was the guy that invented the concept of geosynchronous satellites, you know, that kind of thing. Jules Verne first wrote about flying to the moon. There's only one pervasive transformative technology that every science fiction writer that we've been able to find missed. That was the idea of the freestanding personal portable networked computer. They came up with terminals that you could carry around, but they were always talking to some mainframe somewhere. They came, you know, no one came up. There is no science fiction story that I've been able to find or anybody's been able to point out to me that predicted the existence of these things we carry around with us like like we were born with them. Right? 
Well, and there's, so. I, I think too the, if I'm an IT department at a business, especially an enterprise, that's the thing I have to take into account as I think about my organization, right? Is yep. the or the, the devices that your your users are using are so they're like an extension of them. It's not you come to work and turn it on; they're on, and it just right. is the way it is. So that's I that's, can't even imagine. I mean. When I, when I started at Fidelity Investments, one of the rules was your cell phone, right, had to be uh, – your your mobile devices had to be in your desk. You couldn't have them on your desk. Right. I can't even imagine telling people, uh, you know, that now. It's so much a part of what they do and so much a part of uh, everything they're doing. It, I think IT they, – they, it's best that they just embrace it. Well, and it's, be- it's even to the point where, like, it's now acceptable if you're in a meeting that – you, your phone's on the table. Like, people get that. It's not a uh, a concern anymore, right, in those settings, right? Mm-hmm. I, I remember the same thing, right? People saying, hey, your phone's got to be off and it's got to be in a drawer while you're at work. It's like, that. W- good luck getting a, an employee today if that's your standard in the office, right? Right, right, right. So, They'll leave. And it starts... Yeah. And it starts younger and younger now, too. I mean, when, when I was at MIT, in the time I was at MIT, the rules went from no calculators in the classroom to you need a calculator to take this class. Right, <laughs> so, right. And this is, you know, and this is at an elementary school level now as that as that iPad commercial you pointed out, Steve. You know, they, it, you, you're this is a youth a youth-centric uh, set of developments now. It starts when they're young enough, when they're old enough to talk and ask for things. Now technology is one of the first things they ask for. Well, the, the other thing is, you know, my son's getting into into these making videos. It's his new hobby. And he's uh, taking his iPhone and he's taking making these videos, right? And I remember having to go to my parents and be like, hey, mom and dad, I, I want to make a video. Do you mind if I use the video camera? And it was like an all-night like lesson on how to use the video camera so I don't mess up the family's really nice uh, camera and how I, I use the tapes and everything. And he's put throwing in special effects and compositing all on his phone, just no big deal, like it's like it's nothing. And he has he has no and, idea the the, the and, power and that he you, has. And you think about you think about think about this from an IT person's perspective, right? Oh my goodness. We have these applications I'm in charge of supporting at my enterprise. And when you compare them to some of the tools that kids can go out and buy and put on a tablet today, these applications look like dinosaur relics, right? How am I going to deal with that? I got these new users joining us. Maybe we have you know, consumers as customers, or we got young people joining the company. They have a certain level of expectation from the technologies they interact with every day that were created for them by the things we're talking about right now. And how do you as an IT person bridge the gap between what your business needs to be able to do and what your users expect to see? And and how do you even have the right mindset to look at it from that perspective without some help? If you started out focused on bits and bytes and speeds and feeds and now everybody's talking about user experience and and human behavior and the impacts of the interface on that that's like a foreign language to you maybe well you know we, we've been talking kind of you know what life was like back in the day uh you wrote an article uh recently a, a blog post where you interviewed yourself and you're talking about 2017 <laughs> versus 2018 yeah I want yeah. to talk a little bit about that article and kind of some of the stuff you saw. I actually I read it, and uh, <laughs> I, first uh, let me I'll say this from yeah, my perspective. Yeah, yeah. So first thing when I came down to uh, Steve's office where we where we record the podcast, and I said, "Hey, did you read Michael's um, 
article in preparation for the podcast, and he said, yeah, and I disagree with it. And I said, oh. So I'm, I'm interested to hear. I didn't Steve. say it quite like, there was, was not that vitriol. And then he rent his clothes. It was, it was well, a Well, it's a good crazy. thing to have backups. So, no, I am interested, Steve, to hear. To, I'm curious what your take was on Michael's article and what you thought was, was objectionable. Well, it, one of the things that he talks about is, is a lack of significant events in 2017. Now, in the IT world. In the IT world. Now, it could be because I'm relatively new to the IT world, as we established on this podcast. Um, that, uh, but I, I would argue that something like WannaCry or Petya was not insignificant. That was pretty significant. Um, and I'm curious because if it was, if you think that's just an, uh, a regular speed bump that, that is going to come every year, and so that's, it's not that significant, it's just a one little thing. Or the big events are normal now. Right. Or, 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 or did, or did, did you, you overlook mean? it? Yeah, what did you mean, Michael? What's the definition of is? <laughs> okay, maybe you guys can pump out the URL to the offending post because there's a visual involved here. If you look at the first letter of the first sentence of every question and answer, several things will become obvious. The first is there are six. There are, there are three questions and each has a starting and three answers, each of which has a starting sentence. And each of those sentences has a starting letter. Uh-huh. Each of those initial letters is highlighted. There's a reason for that. If you put them all together, they spell the oh, word satire. satire. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So there's that. <laughs> second, second of all. So you got Steve uh, is what this comes down to. Yeah. What this what this means is you and I went to BYU and Utah. <laughs> he went to Steve MIT. Went to MIT. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Okay, so I'm, I'm glad we got that straightened out. Um, second of all, everything I say in that piece is basically the polar opposite of what I really believe to be true. You know, and 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 I. Uh, um, there's 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 that song. Uh, it's the end of the world, and we know it. And uh-huh. I feel fine, right? That basically sums up my view on 2017 and looking forward to 2018. Look, you know, almost every major cybersecurity breach that happened, maybe no one could have predicted specific details, but we knew stuff like this was coming. Just like once there got to be a critical number of cars on the road, that is to say more than two, there were going to be car accidents. <laughs> right, right. And there, were likely to be, there was likely to be some infrastructure to support the use of cars, you know, like highways and gas stations, right? This is a, 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 an inflection point in the evolution of technologies that are being absorbed into the real world. And you're going to see speed bumps, and some of them are going to be hugely significant, especially the earliest ones. And that's really what we're seeing. 2017 has been sort of a a ramp up of that part of the evolution, right? 2018 is where we're going to start to see how this plays out on a human scale. That's why the Uber breach and how Uber handled it upset me so much, because I think it's a harbinger of how things can go sideways in 2018 and beyond. Because now 
Companies don't have the excuse anymore of, oh, well, we're new with this technology thing. Oh, we don't understand it. They've been running their businesses on IT for more than two and a half decades now, minimum. So there's no excuse that it's unfamiliar. Even when newer technologies come along, you got to have people and processes and a culture in place to be able to explain to people what happens and what you're doing about it when something goes wrong. And that's no more or less true about IT than it would be about a flood or a fire or an earthquake. So in summary, it sounds like what you're saying is 2017 was the year that a lot of these changes started to happen, but 2018 is the year that these changes start to impact the actual enterprise and the people associated with businesses, right? Like the, this is the year where instead of just hearing about WannaCry, businesses are going to have to take a step towards, um, towards prevention and risk uh, mitigation for their own businesses. It's not something you're just going to read about in the news anymore, right? That's right. That's right. And the, and the smarter ones, the, the smartest ones out there are going to end 2018 having at least one time turned this whole question into some kind of competitive advantage, especially when you've got the European Union adopting the general data protection regulation that's supposed to come into effect in May. And that affects every business that does business with anybody who's a EU citizen, wherever that business may be headquartered. So that means you've got to be able to do things and show things and say things about how you're protecting private information. And, and those things got to be documented and credible in ways that maybe you didn't have to do before. But the upside of that is you can say to people, we got your back. We got your data protected. You don't need to worry about us in the value chain. We got it handled. And that can become something that flips from being an IT challenge to a business advantage. Wow. Uh, I read this article completely wrong. Steve's prep for, <laughs> Steve's prep for this was... Bring it. That was remarkable. Yeah. Well, so, you know, I, I I think Steve's a pretty bright guy. So my response is, if it fooled him, it may have fooled some of the other people yeah, who yeah. have actually read maybe it. Maybe we should put a disclaimer on the top, like, note the first letter of, yeah, maybe. See, I, I, I generally thought, I noticed the bold letters, right? I'm like, oh, well, someone, maybe it's a stylistic thing. He's Because I, I saw the first page where we get to sat and it looks like every paragraph so i'm like maybe it's a stylistic thing but i didn't put it i didn't take the next the next step so you look at something like wanna cry as a shot across the bow as a, a warning shot where enterprise and people have the opportunity to react but this is it that's your shot that's your warning that's the uh that's that's the indicator you have you either need to do something with it or suffer the consequences that's exactly right. And this is this is going to be an opportunity for IT to accelerate Darwinian evolution in the business world, because the companies that get it and figure it out are the ones that are going to be the most successful, not only because they survive beaches better, but they're going to draw more business partners and they're going to draw more customers because people are going to start using concerns about cybersecurity and concerns about protection of information as they make their purchase decisions and their investment decisions and their corporate partnership decisions. So this would be an opportunity for Lyft to say, hey, listen, we can't speak to other companies, but unlike other rideshare services, (laughs) we protect our data by the following means, and that's the competitive advantage. Exactly. Exactly. Or they could just say, hasn't happened to us yet. (laughs) (laughs) Which I think is almost more dangerous, though, isn't it? Because that's like putting a target on your back and saying, uh, bring it. 
I just yeah, think, I read the course, article. Well, it seems to of me course. too, right? Wasn't this coin during the Nixon era? The cover-up's always worse than the crime, right? Like, yep. right, right. To, yep. to me, to me, the Uber situation and and some of these others, right? We learned about a Target one that they had hidden for a long time and a Yahoo yep. breach that they hadn't made public. In these situations, the thing that ticks people off is not that these breaches happen, right? The thing that ticks people off is that the breaches happen. And then companies are not forthright about that they happened. Um, what, what, now, if they happen does... twice, people get really ticked. But for the first time, people are like, I mean, look, we understand that this is a, a threatening world and we need to prevent these. But at least be honest about it. At least be honest. About when it. In, in, every, in every mediocre piece of modern entertainment, at the point at which the one lover leaves the other – or one parent expresses disappointment at a child. What is the dialogue at that point? It's not what you did. It's that you lied about it. <laughs> right? This is a human thing. This is a very basic human reaction. If you tell me there's been a mistake and that you're working on it, I'm going to feel a lot better about it than if I have to wait a year to find out that you had something go wrong that affected me. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. And it, and it happening twice is a major issue too, right? We got to oh, make sure. Oh, absolutely. It can't happen twice. All right, Michael. So, um I think what we need to do after um after uh, Steve rereads this is um, <laughs> you know, maybe have him go to the blog and write some comments apologizing <laughs> directly. In fairness, there's nothing in here other than the the, the cryptic satire that <laughs> yeah, says and there is 1 2 3 4 Four paragraphs that don't have in a row, like in, yes, a row. in the middle I, of the I, word. I, I specifically said the first letter of the first sentence of every question and Michael's answer. Like a, he's like a um, like like Da Vinci Code style. Well, he studied writing at MIT. Cryptex. What am I gonna like? I know. Chris Brown comes to or or what's his name? Brown. Uh, who's the author of Da Vinci Code? Dan Brown. Brown. Dan, Dan Brown. Brown comes to him for advice. That's right. <laughs> Michael, thanks for doing this, man. We really appreciate it. We had a good time. Um, I'll work with Steve on reading comprehension. It'll be great. Hey, I scored a 36 on that on the ACT. Oh, look at this. Yeah, yeah. Busted out oh, the what? ACT score. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. It's all I've got. It's all he's got. It's my one moment of greatness in my life. Give it to me. Did you walk out of the testing center like arms in the air, weeping silently? <laughs> no, because I didn't talk about my math score. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Hence why you're in sales. Exactly. All right, Michael. Thanks, man. We yeah. really appreciate it. Um, enjoy the Anytime, bay today. Guys. It's like 20, really maybe 24 it. degrees here in Salt Lake City, so enjoy your mild Mediterranean weather. Yeah. Don't worry. I plan. I plan to enjoy every bit of every minute of it. Thank you so much, you guys. I really appreciate the opportunity to hang out with you. Thanks, man. All right. So you you know what I kind of want for Christmas? What's that? Um, some some reviews on iTunes. Me too. Positive we reviews. Some. We need some. We've got a lot. Yeah. But we need more. 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 Always more. More. It's like it's rate, like rate, subscribe, and mm-hmm. review. Yep. Not it's probably subscribe, rate, and review. Make but. my Christmas dreams come true. Yeah. If you want Steve watch the Christmas Carol with Tiny Tim. Yep. Steve is Tiny Tim unless you rate and review this podcast. Yes. And Please, and sir. Tiny Tim would have to be like Please. a bearded fat guy. I want some porridge. I want some rates and reviews, Please. 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 Okay, and then also, uh, we enjoy getting your feedback. I we know do. Erica squeals literally when she gets messages. She does. She loves it. I know she does. Um, so you can email us um, at the Interchange IT Podcast Is it at Avanti. The Interchange IT Podcast? No, at, no, email us at the email address 
Interchange IT Podcast at Avanti.com. There you go. Because I would have said, I would have put that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can also reach out to us on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter at Interchange Pod. And then you can connect with me on Twitter at Steve Error and McKay. Just forget Twitter. Just LinkedIn. Come on, LinkedIn's better. Well, McKay S. Allen. Yeah. Okay. Screw Twitter. And then LinkedIn. Yeah, I, I like LinkedIn. Me too. We should have a follower off. Oh. All right. Follower off. Follow me on LinkedIn, people. Follow, don't follow McKay. Follow me. <laughs> and we're going to see who's got the most followers. In a week. Well, let's, let's say by the end of 20, 2017. Okay, fair enough. Whoever has the most followers. Buys the other one lunch. Uh, I'm going to enjoy In a restaurant lunch. of their look, choosing. Look at me. I enjoy lunch. <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks, guys. Uh, get at it, and good luck. The Interchange IT Podcast is brought to you by Avanti, a software company that helps you succeed in every aspect of your job including operational IT security, asset management, service management, and supply chain management. Find out more at Avanti.com.